Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Another episode of BizBooks, where I like to um, interview and share uh, really, really interesting information from really interesting authors that write business books that help businesses of all sizes. Today, I've got Dan Rome on with me, who is the author of The Pop-Up Pitch, uh, the two-hour creative sprint to the most persuasive presentation of your life. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. Gene, what a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. Um, read your book, really enjoyed it. I have a bunch of questions for you. For those of you guys that might be listening to you uh, to this on, on our podcast or on audio, um, you're going to lose a little bit because we, we might be sharing some stuff on the screen for our video people to watch. So, uh, But you can always catch it on our YouTube channel or on LinkedIn as well. Dan, um, first of all, a, a little bit about yourself. Tell us, tell us who you are and how you came to the point of writing the pop-up pitch. Oh, sure. And Gene, be advised that I've been giving a lot of, uh, I do a lot of public speaking this last 15 years or so. So I'm essentially one of those people who's paid to talk. <laughs> so be very careful what you ask for when you ask me to tell my story, because yeah. I will. I'll um, be like, stop so talking. <laughs> Shut up, Dan. All right, fine. I got to get a question. You, you own the mic, so you yeah. can tell me when enough is enough. The short yeah. version, Gene, is this. Uh, as a kid, I drew all the time, and I'm talking about when I was a little kid, but that didn't make me particularly unique because all of us, when we were little, we, we drew. We had a crayon and a piece of paper, and sure. if you think about when you're a child, the, the only way you have to communicate in any sort of written or, or recorded form is drawing because before you have the ability to read and write, you draw, and anybody who has kids or ever was a kid knows that there was a time in your life when, when you drew. Well, Gene, for me, I just never stopped. Mm. And so what I found myself, you know, decades later, after college education and startups and things, I found myself a management consultant uh, in New York and in Europe, where I was very often in meeting rooms, conference rooms with clients that represent very complicated industries. And I know that some of at least part of your background is in is in accounting. I saw that you're a CPA. I stopped yeah. you a little. So yep. I've done a lot of work with the, the American Accounting Association, the AICPA. So a lot of times I'd find myself in the room with people who are true experts in their very, very detail-oriented field. Sure. And what I found is that if I was the person who didn't know what was going on, because I'm not an expert in that field, if I would go to the whiteboard, like the one you see behind me here, yep. and I would just start simply drawing out with very simple shapes, circles, triangles, arrows, boxes, and I might say, Gene, if I understand you correctly, what I think I heard you say is something that looks like this. What I would find, Gene, was that the entire tone and temperature in the room would change. And whatever kind of political nonsense had been in the room or complicated issues or things that people were afraid to talk about because perhaps they didn't understand them or there was something scary in the outcome of the thinking, all of that would wash away because people would look at this simple drawing on the whiteboard and have a completely different reaction. Say, oh, no, that's not exactly what I meant, but I'm glad you drew it. And then they'd take the pen and change it. And that, Gene, is my story. And I've yep. done that my whole life. You know, you do realize that um, it's a very unique talent that you have. I mean, you know, as, as people that like to communicate or present, um, most of us are all, you know, awful at, at, you know, any type of art, not that what you're doing is art, but it's still mm -hmm. fun. And I look at the drawings behind you right now, and I can just tell that you can, you can make like fun little entertaining cartoonish graphics to get your point across. And um, it's a unique ability. It really is. I can see how that helped you. Well, as I, I, as I often think, I've spent the last 
30 some years in, in my professional career, Gene, learning how to draw badly really well. <laughs> Right. So you, you do see behind me on the whiteboard and anybody that's viewing this on YouTube or, or as video would see that. And, and just to share you, I mean, the, the things that you'll see on the whiteboard behind me are little icons that I've created. I'm actually working with a little internet company. Its name starts with G. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a project with Google and they've given me public right to, to talk about the fact that I'm working with them. And what we're just trying to do is use visual storytelling to explain ultimately to the entire world changes that are taking place in the fundamental infrastructure of how the internet works, in particular mm -hmm. regarding uh, personal information protection as it relates to advertising. And so what we're trying to do is come up with a simple visual story that explains to ourselves and then to the world at large what some of these changes might mean, what they look like, et cetera. And just by using simple drawings, as you'll see here, you know, usefulness or control or uh, what have I got working on over here? Different ver safety. What is it like sure. to feel when you're safe online? Um, so that's one type of drawing that I do. But um, another type, and probably more to the question you asked a moment ago or the statement you made, is a lot of people in the business world say, Dan, I, I can't draw. I would never do that. And the first thing that I do when I'm sharing with someone how to do it is to say that the drawings that we're doing are not about art. They're about clear thinking. And okay. what I'm going to do is I'm going to just draw like a little plate of spaghetti here. Imagine that this is sort of most problems when we first meet them. Okay. Our job is really just to use our drawing to just try to pull out of complexity some simple shapes and see if we can make sense out of the world by looking at it like that. Got it. Got it. All right, Dan. So let's get to the book. So the pop-up pitch. Um, who's your target reader for this book? Yeah, it's a great question, Gene. It's anyone who has to give a presentation sometime in the next brief amount of time who personally doesn't have the time to put as much as many cycles into that presentation as they'd like. And secondly, knows that given the way that most of our work is done remotely now, audiences, audiences attention mm -hmm. is increasingly difficult to capture and retain. Mm -hmm. for any sustained period of time. So for anyone who has a business story to tell and is lacking weeks and weeks of prep time and knows that their audience's attention is going to be difficult to retain, that's who this book is for. Um, and just in the subtitle, I know it's kind of a, it's a big promise, but it's one that I know we can live up to. In two hours, if you read through this book, mm -hmm. you will be able to create in just 10 slides or 10 paragraphs, what I believe, Gene, is the best presentation you've ever given. That's that's the book. We're going to walk through those 10 slides um, soon, but um, let's dig into it a little bit further. What, Dan, do you mean by a visual decoder? Okay. So, yeah, thanks, Gene. So the basic structure of the pop-up book, the pop-up pitch book, mm -hmm. is I designed the book and I wrote it as if you and I had a two-hour face-to-face workshop. And in those two hours, I'm going to share with you two different toolkits. And the visual decoder is toolkit number one. The second toolkit, which we'll get to in a moment, is something I call the 10-page pitch. And Gene, the easiest way to think about them is the visual decoder is what we're going to use for the first hour to unpack your idea, whatever the story is or the point is that you need to make, and when I say unpack it, we're going to do that with the kind of simple drawings we just talked about. 
the visual decoder is a very well planned out based on the cognitive science of how vision actually works set of steps that will help you draw five very simple pictures that will unpack and clarify the essence of the story you want to tell using, and we can talk more about what this means, first of all, the power of your visual mind. Right. The images and the stories that are already stored in your brain in the form of visuals. The visual decoder will help you unpack that. Does it have to be five? It doesn't have to be, but if you can draw these five elemental pictures, mm -hmm. I know and you will know that you have clarified your story to the point where you really do truly understand it and can begin to construct it into the story that's going to motivate your audience. And the reason why it's five, if, if I could go into science just, sure. just for a moment, Gene, sure. um, the pop-up pitch is actually my sixth book. Uh, I've been writing and publishing books, uh, both with Penguin and now with Ashet for the past uh, 15 years. My first book came out, it was called The Back of the Napkin. It came out in 2008, and it is what allowed me to quit my day job in management consulting and go full-time into uh, this work of helping business people be, be better at crafting their story. The book did really, really well, uh, and it was called uh, Using using pictures to help solve uh, complex problems and sell ideas. Right. And the reason why I advocate drawing five simple pictures is because of the research that I was able to do over the years on how does vision work. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is all of us, well, well over 97% of the population of the planet, those of us who are blessed with the gift of being able to see Mm -hmm. uh, and granted, there's a, a number of people who are, are blind or, or have a vision disability or a vision difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not really talking to that group of people right now. I'm talking to the vast majority of us who do, for the most part, navigate our way through the world with our eyes open based on the things that we see. And here's what's really cool. If you were to take some time and understand how vision actually works, the process of turning light the light that's in front of our eyes, that's bouncing off of objects in front of us into meaning in our mind. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of things that are worthy of note, more of the human brain in sheer processing horsepower by weight is dedicated to processing vision than any other thing that we do. The cognitive scientists, neurobiologists, people who study the science of vision are now estimating, Gene, that about 50%, half of the billion neurons that we have in our brain, mm -hmm. about half of them are dedicated to processing vision more than any other thing that we do. Mm -hmm. So I took as a starting point, if we're in the world of business and we are trying to communicate an idea to someone else, if we are not using the half of our brain that wants to see what we're talking about, we're already seriously handicapping ourselves in our ability to tell the story. Right. Yeah, we're going to use words as well. But in my book, the words follow the pictures. Why five? Because if you deconstruct literally the neural mechanics of how vision works, how do we rapidly parse the world in front of us visually? and make sense of it in such a way that we can navigate it without falling down or tripping or running into someone. It's because arguably 
at a mechanistic perspective, our brain breaks the whole world down into five discrete types of information. Who am I looking at? Who and what? Kind of the nouns of the world is one of our visual processing engines. Right. How many are there? Which is another one. Where are they located relative to each other and relative to me? When do they seem to be changing in sequence? And then how does that all have meaning? So if you think about it, the five drawings I'm going to ask someone to make are, the first one is just draw me a little quick picture with stick figures or smiley faces or emojis or labels and say, Gene, whatever business story or data story you have, you want to share, who is it about? Hmm. Who is involved in your story? No value judgment, mm -hmm. just who is there? Mm -hmm. And most likely it'll be you and it'll mm -hmm. be me and it'll be a client or a customer or a vendor or a partner. Great. Okay. That's the first picture I want you to draw. Okay. Then how many of them are there? How many people or how many things are there in this story that you want to tell me? Are there very few or there are a lot? Okay. And in many cases, if we're talking about money, we might say, well, there's a lot of money, but there's not enough. Well, how would we draw that? And now we're going to draw a chart to represent that and so on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So where does the vision cube exercise, you know, kind of pull into this? Is this part of putting together those five, you know, images that we need to tell that story? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the word of the, uh, the term, the vision cube. This is my own term. And it is my attempt to try to understand in a clear way what happens when we open our eyes and just start walking through the world and the science of the visual decoder and the five pictures are drawn <laughs> directly from this idea that as we navigate through the world in real time and forget about drawings for a moment and just imagine you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed and you start moving through you know your your bedroom and into the kitchen to make your cup of coffee or your cup of tea most of us know that when we first wake, wake up, our verbal mind is still asleep. We are, until we get that first hit of coffee or whatever we like to drink to wake up, most of us know, don't ask me any questions. I'm pre-verbal. Right. Yeah, but you're still navigating your way through the world. How are you doing that? And what it turns out, an analogy, a way to think about it is as you're moving through your room into the kitchen and making your coffee, you're going through a series of snapshots and these snapshots are being taken thousands of times a second. Those are the cubes. Those correct? are the sides of the cube and That's you're right. navigating your way. You're making this, your way through this series of think about them as three-dimensional snapshots, mm -hmm. visual snapshots of the world around you. Mm -hmm. What are the things that are in front of me? How far away are there? How many of them are there? What is their position? And we do that. That's why half our brain is required to see the world because it's a pretty miraculous and incredible process to think that those three-dimensional snapshots, those slices of the world around us, where it takes one-tenth of a second for us to take the snapshot and have it processed through our minds so that we mm -hmm. react to what we're seeing. Right. But we're taking those snapshots literally thousands of times a second right. as our visual mind parses the world hungry to make sense of the data set of photons, if this makes sense, sure. that are around us. Sure. And often I, I like that analogy because I've spent a lot of time working with people in hardcore data analytics, deep data businesses. 
Right. And whether it's financial data or customer data or market data, what I bring to the table is I say, imagine how cool it would be if you could look at your data set in exactly the same way our eyes already look at the data of the world. And that's where we get the five pictures and the vision cube. Got it. So it's it's an exercise that you call it. So uh, do you tell your clients you need to be doing this all the time? Is this something that we should be doing, you know, just sporadically? Like how often, how often do you say you go through this kind of an exercise? I am, well, as the creator of the vision decoder, which is based on the vision cube, I use the tool all the time. But a dozen times a day. Yeah. In fact, right now, as you and I are talking, you're asking me questions and I'm framing them up in my mind so that I can hopefully answer them or think about them in, in a fluid, thoughtful way. Right. I'm actually breaking your questions down in my mind into, well, who is he talking about? How many are there, et cetera. When I'm working with a client though, the, things shift a little bit. Uh, say, let's just take the Google story, for example. Yeah. Um, this is a story that we're taking uh, a fair amount of time to develop. It's a complicated story and we want to get it right. And it's fed by a lot of complicated data and uh, insights all the way from the technology world. What are some of the tools that are being used that, that enable the internet to work at all through customer data, people rightfully, uh, users of the internet are increasingly becoming concerned about what's happening with our data. So there's, there's customer information, there's technical information, there's conceptual information. Sure. So what we're trying to do is weave together a simple story, simple, that's simple on the other side of complexity. Sure. Uh, so it's accurate and it's a good representation of what's happening so that people understand it. In that case, I would use the visual decoder tool pretty much at the beginning of the project and then at key milestones when we're reviewing our work to go back to say, we've told the story, mm -hmm. let's unpack it again mm -hmm. because we've been working it and make sure it still makes sense at a fundamental level. Does, in fact, Gene, I look to you and I say, does what I've just described make sense to you as, as a business guy? Sure, sure, and it does. Um... Okay, now in the book, at least this is the second, we're, and we're going to get to the second hour where we're going to do the whole 10-page pitch, but um, we're, we're just prepping right now, right? I mean, yeah. we are, we're, we're thinking about the pictures that make up the story. Um, you used, uh, used a few different examples. Um, Harry Potter is one of them that, that struck out at me. <laughs> and I thought maybe you could just, just briefly give us, you know, putting this into real life. Yeah. Um, walk us through that Harry Potter example. Just how does that, how does that apply? Oh, sure. Okay. Well, Gene, if I may ask, do, do, none of my business, do you have kids or? I do. Yeah, I do. And it is anything you want is completely your business here, Dan. It's, it's fine. Three kids and my daughter was a huge Harry Potter fan. So we know all the movies and all the books and all that kind of okay. stuff. Okay. We're in their twenties now, that whole generation was. Well, you and I had kids at the same age. So my, my, my younger daughter who perhaps like your daughter was a, was a, just crazy Harry Potter yeah. fan. Yeah. For years, we read the Harry Potter books. I read them Saturday and Sunday mornings as we'd wake up. That's what we would do is I'd yep. make preps and give them to my daughters. And then, uh, and then we'd sit there and for hours read the Harry Potter books. So as a family, we read all seven of the books, I believe, six of the books. Yeah. Um, I want to say three times from beginning to end. Yep. Here's where the visual decoder came in. At one point, my daughter, who probably was maybe 11 at the yeah. time, needed to give a book report. 
Mm -hmm. And she wanted to talk about Harry Potter mm -hmm. and, and was overwhelmed by there's so many characters and there's so many things that take place in the plot and there's magic and there's good guys and bad guys and Voldemort and all the things. And she, and I thought, well, this might sound crazy. My daughter's name is Celeste. I said, Celeste, this might sound crazy, but if you want to, we could go to the whiteboard and I could show you how you might tell that story in the same way that I tell fancy executives at big corporations how to tell their story. By the way, how old but was Celeste at the time? She was 11 or 12. 11. Okay, that's a good yeah. age. Because if she was like 16 or 17, she would have laughed you out of the room, right? Uh, well, it's <laughs> funny because by virtue of introducing the whiteboard early in right. my daughter's lives, they have remained inveterate whiteboarders to Got this it. day, okay. which gives me a source of great pride that, right. that one of the tools that dad worked on still has life that will um, be your outside legacy. the business world. Right, long after you're gone, that will be your legacy. With it, well, we there's so much here we could talk about, but back to <laughs> Harry and, and J.K. Yeah. Rowling. So what we did is we said, okay, and this, Gene, because I can hear it in the questions you're asking me, why would a business, busy business person bother to try to draw their idea? Why don't we just boot up PowerPoint or Word and just type it out? And here's why. Everybody I know has had the following experience. You open your PowerPoint or you open your Word document. You say, oh, my idea is really clear. I'll just start typing it out. Right. And you type something and then you say, well, that's not really what it's about. And then something else. Well, wait a bit. But what about the other data point? And then and before you know it, you're looking at this plate of spaghetti yes. on your own page and you're lost in your own story. And this was Celeste's challenge. How do I explain Harry Potter? There's so much. Sure. Okay, sure. let's go to the whiteboard. And first thing we're going to do Let's just draw out who are the top three, four, five, six characters who come to mind. Not who's good or who's bad, not who's the story about, but just who are some of the characters that are in the story. Let's just start with that. So as part of your visual decoder, you said one of the first things you want to do is put all the people that you're talking about. All in, the people. Yeah. The okay. And the beauty of it is it, you don't have to be talking about Harry Potter. I really want to connect the thread for your listeners and viewers, Gene. Because if we're in business, now let's take a story of, um, okay, I've got a perfect example. Okay. Um, the American Accounting Association, which is more the academic side of accounting in the United States. So you got the AICPA that really represents the professionals in, right. in, in, the, in the accounting profession and the AAA that represents more the academic side. So the publishers, the journals overseeing uh, accounting education right. in secondary and post-secondary school. So most of my work has been with the AAA. Okay. A few years ago, the AAA realized that um, fewer and fewer students were going into business courses in uh, university okay. seeking accounting as a major. And that's a problem because we're going to need more accountants in the future, not fewer of them. And so a lot of research was done asking why students coming into school. And they said, well, because accounting just doesn't seem like it's as sexy as some of the other trades I could go into. Because accounting, yeah. isn't that just bean counting? That doesn't, you know, black and white, very boring. Yep. You know, I don't want to do that. Yeah. All you got to so do is look at this picture right here and you realize that's absolutely. That's true. not the case. <laughs> well, so that's the AAA's job is at least in the academic side and the education side to say, well, maybe we need to re-explain what accounting really is. Right. Because right. if you break it down, 
this is not bean counting. Accounting is very plausibly, the argument could be made, the only reason why capital markets can function is because of trust. And the okay. only reason trust can exist is because someone is not counting the beans, sure. but someone is accounting for the underlying data in a way that is measurable, reliable, trustworthy. Because without that, sure. there can be no actuaries. And without actuaries, there can be no assessment of risk. And without assessment of risk, no one will invest money in anything. Right. And we're done. You know, right. pack it up. The capital right. market system's over. Right. So to tell that story, we used the visual decoder to say, okay, who are the people who are actually involved in accounting? Now, forget right. Harry Potter for a moment, but if you did a parallel, well, you tell me, Gene, if I said, tell me, who are some of the people who are involved in the industry and the profession of accounting? And I'm going to put you on the spot. Who might be some of the people that you might list out? You mean as far as uh, act like influencers that are part of? Anybody who's involved in the world of accounting, anyone. Sure. Well, I mean, right off the top of my head, uh, you've got Janet Yellen, who's the Secretary of the Treasury, because sure. she is involved in all sorts of things that impact the economy and impact all of us as, as business owners and accounting leaders. I also look to the government. I forget the person's name who's the head of the IRS. So mm -hmm. that's another person that has a big you know, impact on me. And then I think of other influencers in the accounting profession, for example, um, that, um, that impact you know, practices and businesses, for example, uh, whoever's head of the AICPA. Um, right. So those are just like three examples that, you know, come right to mind that people that impact my life. And so we've, we've started to do it. So we've got Janet Yellen, we've got head of the IRS, we've got head of the AICPA. And then I would start to, if we were doing this as a workshop, I'd say, okay, that's a good start, Gene, but who, excellent. What about CFOs within organizations? Do CFOs, are they impacted by what goes on in accounting? Yes, of course they are. Absolutely. Go ahead. And, and what about financial advisors? Are they involved in the... So what happens is what started as one or two people, and we mm -hmm. think our story is about Janet Yellen, ultimately mm -hmm. becomes a, a much bigger set of characters. Right. And then after we do that exercise for a couple of minutes, we stop. Right. And we say, okay, so now let's get conceptual, Gene, and let's think about what are some of the relationships, if we were to draw this out as a as a Venn diagram or a set of intersecting circles yep. in the mind of this person who's telling the story of accounting, what are some of the overlaps of those people? Where does the IRS overlap with the central bank? And where does that overlap with my Fortune 500 business? And where is my accounting department within that business? And where does that relate to my marketing department? Sure. And you can see that these circles start to come out on your whiteboard. And the story starts to unpack itself. Does, does right. this make sense, what I'm it, describing? It makes complete sense. It makes complete sense. So what we did with the AAA is using exactly the model we're talking about. We came up with a series of pictures that say, if you boil down who cares about accounting, you end up with a core of really invested people, which are students who are interested in business. Sure. business people who are interested in being successful, sure. anyone who is interested in understanding how banking works. So we came up with this and said, that's a pretty big cross-section of, well, America, if yes. not the, the capital-driven markets, the capital markets world. Right, of course. Wow, 
Right, right. So who are we not appealing to? Right. We're not appealing effectively to a vast amount of that. So where do they overlap? Well, some of those people we can reach in university, some of those people we can reach in business. So we started to draw our map. And in the end, we created something called the Pathways document, mm. which was then um, told as a visual story Okay. that still to this day, and we did much of this work eight to 10 years ago, uh, we came up with one drawing, one simple sketch that showed the intersection of people not traditionally associated with accounting. Got it. With the real, real underpinnings of what accounting is intended to do, which is about building trust so that people can believe in business and reports that they're given Got so it. that they can invest. And that drawing has now been used for years as the intro level drawing into welcome to the world of accounting. This ain't boring bean counting. This is the fundamentals of our economy. Okay. Wow. All right. Let's move to hour two because all you, what you have done right now is you have set the stage for making your plans for doing the presentation, all the thought process that you have to do, like giving the example of in the accounting community, all the people that like would be impacting this presentation, what their overlap is and how they figure into the overall presentation. Um, so Dan, I know that you, you're prepared to actually share a slide. And I think this is sure. a really good, good time to do this. Okay. I, I would like you to walk us through this 10 page, because we put the thought, you know, the, the thoughts through this, but now we've got to put together our 10 page pitch. How does that work? Okay. So Gene, can you see my screen right now? I can. Okay. So we've just talked quite a bit and, and, and this is the power of visuals because a lot of the things that we just talked about, I think in some ways are more clearly made by this simple drawing. So the two tools that are in the pop-up pitch include the visual decoder, which we talked about. Right. And you'll see here just marked out what are the five drawings that someone would create to take their complicated idea okay. and turn it into a set of, of simple drawings, which then they could say, okay, now I have to tell a story about them. And then toolkit number two, the one we're talking about right now, is the storytelling tool, which is called the 10-page pitch. Right. And what you're looking at the screen right now is these are literally the 10 slides that you're going to create. So hold on. And I'm just looking at right now just a little plane uh, that looks like that you've designed. I'm not seeing... Uh, like uh, you're not seeing my like screen? That. No, I'm not seeing your screen yet. Really? Well, then yeah. something's up. Look at a really sharing... cool looking plane here. That looks. Oh, like... no. Well, I've been marking up madly as I've been sharing this. Let me unshare and make sure. Maybe I've shared the wrong... Yeah. Hold on. Let me try it one more I think time. I, you might have shared like a wrong, the wrong photo or something or the wrong visual. Okay. Let me share. Let me try now. Are there you comes. seeing? There we go. Now I can see it. Okay. Okay. Well, let me go back and, and kind of unmark this up again. Then. <laughs> so <laughs> what we might want to do is rewind that last 30 seconds. Sure. My bad. I'm not showing That's the okay. right image. That's okay. So yeah. what I tried to describe, Gene, was that what we've talked about so far was tool number one our visual decoder, the five drawings. And then we're going to talk now about tool number two, which is this thing I call the 10 page pitch. What it is, now you can see on the screen, now we can. I've, I've put what looks kind of like a stock ticker or maybe a, a timeline or a time mm -hmm. series. Right. This is my visual representation of what I refer to as the 10 page pitch. The idea being, I have done the research and I've worked this myself over the last many years, thousands of times that if you are in the business of giving a business presentation, there are an infinite number of stories you might tell. Mm -hmm. Great. 
Mm -hmm. But here's a quick question for you, just a thought exercise. Let's go back to accounting for a moment or mm -hmm. to the financial office of a business. If I'm the CFO and you're my controller, for example, and I say, hey, can you go run me a P&L statement for Q1 and Q2? Mm -hmm. The controller knows exactly what to do. You go into whatever your financial analytics tool is, and you go in and you call up the template for a two-quarter P&L, and you select the dates and the data populates, and you've now just created the, the visuals or the, the, the report that you wanted to. Sure. But why is it that for most of us in business, more often than not, we have to tell a story. Why should you invest in my company? Why is my solution better than my competitors? Why is it that we need to make the strategic shift in the way that we think about our business? We're telling a story and we've got no template. Hmm. So what I wanted to do was say, over the thousands of presentations that I've given and viewed, what is the single story template that is the most universally applicable the most amount of the time and you don't even have to think about it? And it's this one. I boiled it down into this 10-page story. And so what you're saying, though, is that if I was going to make a pitch on whatever business topic I have, you're saying your pitch should really have 10 slides to it as it is. It shouldn't just have 10 slides. It should have these 10 slides it, in this order. Because now let's go back to Harry Potter for a moment. And if okay. we can kind of weave together synthetically how are stories told, the 10-page pitch is based on the most classic story of all time, which is the story that was the storyline that was illuminated or uncovered by a guy named Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell was an anthropologist and political scientist who lived in the 20th century and spent most of, he lived most of the 20th century, and he spent most of his life traveling the world, mm -hmm. learning about the greatest myths mm -hmm. that were told by the greatest cultures around the world and throughout history. Mm -hmm. And what he saw over time is that pretty much every great myth that had withstood the test of time that was told within any culture as a way to guide people on how you might effectively live, mm -hmm. they were all telling mm -hmm. structurally an identical story. Mm -hmm. And he didn't create it, but he sort of revealed this underlying truth. And Joseph Campbell wrote a book, which is fascinating. It's called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He wrote it way back in the 1960s. Mm. Um, and there's also and an excellent BBC series on Joseph Campbell Smith. Oh well. my gosh. So you're familiar. Mm -hmm. So the name of this storyline that Joseph Campbell revealed that right. it existed through time, it was something that he called the monomyth, otherwise known as the hero's journey. Right. Right. What made the hero's journey as a storyline become kind of part of American public consciousness over the last decades is when a guy named George Lucas decided that he wanted to tell a story that was optimistic and it was about how a small band of misfits can save the universe by right. working together, he wrote Star Wars. Right. And he used line for line, beat for beat, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey as the plot line of Star Wars, right. which was then the same plot line used by J.K. Rowling in Harry Potter right. by 
the the author of the Hunger Games, by the screenwriters of the Marvel comic universe, whether it's Iron Man, Spider Man, every great story that Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, every great story that stands the test of time, mm -hmm. arguably follows the same storyline. So I thought, Gene, it might be overwrought, but why the heck not try it? Right. What would happen if we sure. made a simplified version of this hero's journey and used it to tell our business story yep. where the hero isn't Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter? The hero is whomever we are trying to share our story with right. in the hopes of persuading them to believe in us. Sure. The hero's not me. It's not my solution. It's not my product. The hero is you. Sure. And whatever challenge you might face that my product or service hopefully will help. And okay. here it is. These are the 10. These are the 10 steps. Should I quickly go through it? Or let me yeah, pause I and would. ask I if mean, that makes we, sense. Yeah, we have some time. And, and I know that you, you do entire presentations that are, that are based on this. I'm sure they go a lot longer. But yeah, Dan, I would like you to you know, just roll through, just give us the brief explanations of each one of these steps and what you mean. And of course, for those of you guys watching, obviously, there's a lot more detail in Dan's book. Mm -hmm. But um, go ahead. Well, so with the way, Gene, I would I would posit it as follows. Let's let's do a little thought exercise, and let's okay. imagine that you're any one of your viewers or or listeners, okay. and imagine that you've got something that you need to present next week, wh whatever it might be. You've got a new business strategy, or you've got a quarterly report, sure. or you've got a new marketing campaign. What whatever it might be, think think broadly. What is a story or a presentation that you literally need to give next week? And then let's think for a moment about how we would normally give that presentation. And the vast majority of us would work backwards and say, well, I'm going to be giving a talk. It's an hour long. I'm going to be talking to these people. Uh, and I want to talk about my product or my service or my idea. And we would boot up our PowerPoint or our Google Slides doc. And we would start to put together a list of features, uh, you know, benefits to our tool, um, you know, how much it's going to cost, who's the team behind it. Who we and are. It's, yeah, it's great. Right, okay, it's right. great. That's what we would do. Sure. And we know this because we've experienced it only 10,000 times ourselves. Correct. We're going to bore our audience to tears. <laughs> you know, there's this old uh, quote attributed to Einstein. Maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. But, you know, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and hoping for a different outcome. Right. The presentation industrial complex that we all live in is insane <laughs> because we all keep generating we the do. same presentation knowing that even we're bored by it. So what would happen if instead of doing that, this time for your presentation next week, you chose to tell it as a story? And we're not going to be crazy. We're not going to use rocket ships and Luke Skywalkers and lightsabers. We're not going to use magic. But what we're going to use instead is the product or service or solution that you're going to offer. And what we're going to do in this 10 page story is rather than start listing off, I'm, I'm Dan and my product is called XYZ and here are the benefits to you. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna say, first thing, first slide on my titles page, mm -hmm. I'm going to establish clarity by simply saying, hi, Gene, I'm Dan and I wanna talk to you about X. And it won't be my product, it'll be the problem. Let's talk about the challenge of accounting today. Got it. And you say, fine. So then on page two, 
I say something to establish trust between us. I establish a common ground. And it could be something that I know that we have in common or a share. We, we both have daughters and we both work in the business field. Sure. Okay, sure. Yeah. And the whole point of that, and it doesn't have to take long. It's one slide long. It's two sentences long, is something that establishes our bona fides, our right. trust. Right. Then the third thing is I say, I now pull the rug out from under us. The third slide is the one where I introduce fear right off the bat, right away. The world was good and now it's not, it's about to not be good right. because in this comfortable world, Gene, that you and I share, yep. something awful is about to happen or perhaps already has happened. Okay. What has COVID done to our economy? Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then that was slide three where I introduced the problem and I intentionally evoked fear. I did that intentionally because it's arguable that the most influential human emotion is fear. Sure. However, many, many people use fear as the total story and then, and then scare you into buying something. I'm not going to do that because that is not the successful way to pers positively persuade someone. Sure. What you do after fear is on slide four, you establish hope. Hmm. Gene, what would it feel like? Hmm. Don't worry about how we're going to do it. Don't worry about how we're going to solve the problem, but what would it feel like when we're on the other side of this problem and we've navigated it successfully? Don't, I'm not going to tell you how, but wouldn't it be awesome if we could say the markets have restabilized, we feel comfortable in our investment models, we feel like we have a pretty good grasp on where the market is going. Wouldn't that feel great? Right. And right. now, turn five. Can I, this I, I, I want to interrupt you. I do want to interrupt you, Dan, for just sure. a minute. You're, you're taking this through as if we're doing like a PowerPoint, you know, presentation. Does this have to be a PowerPoint? I mean, sure doesn't. Yeah. I mean, the, the best speakers that I've seen in my life are ones that don't use PowerPoints. I mean, obviously different presentations require different amounts of data. Um, but I just want to like set that up that like, if you can put this in your mind to take your, your, your audience on the same path, um, do you, you don't necessarily need a visual if you're, if you're presenting well enough. Is that a fair statement? Yes. However, most of us, you're, there's so many thoughtful, wise things you just said. Let's take all of them. It doesn't have to be a PowerPoint. I'm using PowerPoint as the tool to help you create your yes. pitch. Yes. But once we reach the end, you may not use the PowerPoint you've created as the tool you present. Mm -hmm. It's just an effective tool and it's easy to make 10 slides as yes. the working document by which we're writing our story. Yeah, good. If at the end of that, you choose to present it as a 10 page PowerPoint, that's awesome. If you choose to add some of your visuals that you drew before you started to tell the story because they're what seeded this story to begin with, that's also awesome. If, however, and I just have done this myself recently, if you just wanted to get in front of your audience and present them a story that lasts no more than about six minutes, and it's just you talking, yeah. you would have used your PowerPoint to create it. You would then rehearse using that. You would then create your note cards or whatever mechanism thought model it is that you use to remember the points you want to make. And then you would throw the PowerPoint away, but still tell us the same story. And it would still hit these same beats. Does, does that make sense? It does. You know, it's funny because I, like you, I do, I do a fair share of speaking. And um, 
I, you know, I was watching just the other day, and this is not, I don't mean to get, you know, religious or anything like that, because I'm not, I'm, I'm Jewish, actually, but I don't know if you ever seen like Joel Osteen, um, you know, when, when he speaks. And um, here is a guy that I see as we're, as, as we're evolving into your 10 page pitch, the, the whole, the whole arc that we're going on right now. He does the same thing when he does his sermons without any visuals whatsoever. It's almost like he's got it in green. I'm assuming that he's using teleprompters or something to keep notes for. You can have aids to help you through this. But um, it, to me, it just seems so much more powerful if I'm watching the person speak and listening to what they're saying as opposed to looking at photos on a PowerPoint. That's, that's, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, no, you, well, whether it's Joel Osteen or whether it's Brene Brown, if you're familiar with yeah. Brene Brown and her yep. work. Yep. If it's uh, Steve Jobs, yep. rest in peace. Yep. Uh, if it's Elon Musk today, the good storytellers, which kind of equate to the people we think of as most successful in whatever business they've chosen to be in. Correct. The very best. It's arguable that many, not all, but many of the most successful people in their chosen line of work are the best storytellers. And don't need props to back up their stories. And, and I will also say, and I'm going to let you carry on with this because this is great. Um, but I, honestly, Dan, as you're, as you're explaining this, going from clarity to trust, establishing fear, building a little bit of hope, and then we're going to get to sobering reality. I, I see that in those good speakers. They're, they're following the same arc that you're, that you're displaying right now. Um, but they're just not doing it with the use of visual aids. They're doing it by telling a story um, and using their own force of personality to get their points through. So what I want the purpose of the pop-up pitch to go back to question number one is to say, what gift could we give to all business people who have a story to tell? Right. Let's give them the arc of the story. Yes. And that's what we're looking at right now. Right. I do believe that for most of us, when it comes time to be the person who's presenting uh, and we want to persuade positively, very few of us, unless we have an extraordinary amount of, of practice, are going to be our very, very best if we pull a Joel Osteen. He's got well more than 10,000 hours of practice. No doubt. So most of us we got to start somewhere. <laughs> we start somewhere. And what I still do now is I still use my simple drawings as the illustration for each of the 10 points as we're going through it. I find it very comforting for me uh, that I can stand in front of an audience of thousands of people and have no PowerPoint. But what I've got is I've got my pictures and they serve to guide me yes. through the story that I want to tell. Now, that's not true for everybody. Um, but I, I think if you are going to have something to share, um, it's, it's very, very important to have visuals that are evocative and are exactly in line with the story that you're going to tell. Okay. Um, for the simple reason that back to how much of our mind is visual, it's rare that there are public speakers who are so captivating that they can retain our attention for the 18 minutes of a TED talk with nothing else for us to look at. It's a great point. They're incredibly good. Most point. of us could aspire to that, but we're not going to get there because our day job is accounting or marketing or what have you. So what I'm going to say is 
if you want to captivate your audience, tell them a story and tell the story, including your pictures, because most of us simply aren't good enough yet or is attractive enough to retain anyone's audience for more attention for more than a couple of minutes. So the way we get, retain someone's attention while we're telling the story is have an excellent story and keep the visuals up. So I'm going to push back, Gene, a little bit and say, um, yes, the very best, just tell us the story. That's our aspiration. If you can't get there yet, use the visuals as you tell the story based on the same storyline. Thank you. Okay, so we've established hope and now comes the reality. So, so what I want to do, because I don't want to get caught up in the weeds of this right now, because mm -hmm. what I want to indicate, it's the same thing that Joel Osteen or JK or anybody else does, is the story that they're going that we are in violent agreement is so evocative, mm -hmm. is based on this narrative where we establish trust, mm -hmm. we evoke fear, mm -hmm. we give hope, mm -hmm. and then this is the critical moment, we pull hope away because we say you can't get that outcome. You will not get that hope by doing the same thing you've done before, not this time. This time is different. This time is bigger. This time, the sobering reality is the hope that you had, let's not let it be a false hope because you are not going to attain it yep. by doing what you've done before. Right. And this right here, Gene, if you can see on the chart, mm -hmm. the turn from slide five to slide six, this is the magic moment. This is the critical conflict in every one of the stories. It's where we say, well, if the usual way of doing things won't solve the problem this time, what will? And this is where we make a bold move. We say our fairly audacious new bold reality around which we're going to build some gusto is this time we're going to use the force. Or this time, we're going to use magic. So this or is this pitch. time, right? This time, we are going to use Dan's new product X. Right. Or this time, right. we're going to change our strategy to X. And you, and then you, because you've intentionally knocked your audience out at the knees and said, "This time, we're going to die. We're dead." Yep. Unless. And the whole thing is the pitch. If you start here, it doesn't work. I understand. And this is why most of our stories fail because we come in and we say, I've got a great new idea. I understand. It's a fantastic idea. And we haven't prepped our audience by saying why they need a new idea. Right. So why do I even care? So we have to go through. And this, when I'm working, when I'm coaching people on telling that story, whether you're going to do it with visuals or not, is please do not start by telling me about the magic of your new offering, because I don't care. I don't care about your new strategy. I don't care about your new product. I don't care about this new turn in the market. I don't care. What I care about is what matters to me. Hmm. And what matters to me is the problem that you understand about me. And now the pitch is this turn from what won't work to what will. Got it. And then we build courage around it because we can do it. We commit to it. We get an early reward. And by virtue of having made this bold decision that is real, we can reach our true long aspiration. That's the story. How does how does that land with you? It is fantastic. So Dan, we're we're gonna be running a little bit short of time. Um, so I I, I have 
you, you do write about also the importance of practicing all of this. So yeah. give me your thoughts on getting this down. <laughs> okay. So let's, let me stop presenting so we can just look at each other. Sure. Uh, get you back. So um, all of us that are in public speaking, the great secret of public speaking is that everybody is terrified every single time before they get on stage. There is not a public speaker I've ever met who doesn't have butterflies the moment we get on stage. The fundamental, the only difference between Ken Robinson, if you know who he is, rest in peace, who on, was a huge, one of the most popular TED Talks. He talked about education and he did it as if he was a stand-up comedian mm -hmm. or Steve Jobs, who was so incredible at pitching us things we didn't even know that we needed. Uh, the only difference between them and us are two things. They had a story to tell that was intentionally crafted in advance and they practiced the hell out of it. Right. Right. To right. your point, here is what never works in the world of business presentations and public speaking ever winging it. <laughs> winging it. Anytime there's a movie where some character says, I'm just going to wing it, it's a lie. It never happens. What always happens, think, are there stand-up comics you like? Are you a Jerry Seinfeld fan? Are there any stand-up comics you like? I like a bunch of stand-up comics. Uh, Jim Gaffigan is top on, uh, on my list if you follow him as well. We actually just saw Louis C.K. a couple of weeks ago. Louis C.K. Got a big laugh at him. And of course, Seinfeld and you know all the other big names like that. So let's ask Seinfeld it this and way. Chris Rock, and, and if you can, you're probably going to tell the same story because I've heard... I've heard Seinfeld and Chris Rock both interviewed, um, you know, on the Stern show a bunch of times, and they talk about the art of practicing, where, where the inflection of every word in what they say um, can make the difference between people laughing and people not laughing at all in the same joke, right? Yeah. It, 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 take your favorite comic, mm. go on YouTube or Netflix or wherever they perform. And watch a few of their stand-up routines. Mm. And an amazing thing's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to start to see a pattern. They tell the same jokes over and over. Mm. And you, you begin to see, is an actor, is George Clooney or whoever you like, I don't know, any, any actor you like, do you think they're making that stuff up when the camera's turned on? Of course not. Do, you, do we think a stand-up comic just says, I'll just wing it, I'm so funny? No. Mm. To your, the, the question within your question, Gene, is should we practice? And the answer is only if we want to be confident and good. Yeah. And the only reason why I just wanted you to emphasize this as we wrap things up, Dan, is that you've gone to all this effort to put together, um, you know, this sort of like two hours of work you need to do to, to put together, to visualize a presentation, and then to have your 10 page pitch together. And that's fine. You do all that stuff, but unless you practice it and get it down, you, know, you you have no you you have no guarantee that you're going to succeed. In fact, you probably won't because uh, there's a lot of time that needs to be put into it. You you won't. And and the worst thing is if you go in to give your presentation with it loud. In 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 my world, I say give yourself two rounds of presentation. You don't want to over prepare, sure. but you need to be. It's it's like jazz. Yeah. Um, the only reason that jazz works is because the players are so familiar with the piece of music that they're willing to improvise on it. 
it's the same thing with a stand-up comic. It's the same thing as any good presenter. You know your material enough right. to where should you choose halfway through because you sent something in your audience, you should choose to pull out another set of stories. You're comfortable doing it only because you're so comfortable in the grooves of what you have practiced. And you, we do ourselves an enormous disservice when we say, any of us, I'm so good and I'm so talented, I'm just gonna go in there and wing it because you may, you may do fine, but the time will come when you don't and the damage that you will do to your sense of confidence will take a long, long time to repair. So better than even having set yourself up for that potential failure is to practice, tell, have your story, practice it once with yourself and once with someone who's close, have your notes, and then the morning of your presentation, give it to yourself one more time in the shower. In the shower, literally with the hot water running over you. I do this every single time before going on TV, mm -hmm. before standing in front of 2,000 people, or before doing even a webinar. Did I do this this morning, Gene? I sure did. I'm going to be talking about my book. What are the things I want to emphasize? The hot water's coming down. Warm up your vocal cords. Hear yourself say, the story I want to tell you is this, and you'll be ready. Did we cover everything? I think we effectively scratched the surface. <laughs> it's an idea. This was so well. much fun, Gene. Your questions are fabulous. And thank you for letting me really go on in some of the areas that I, I rarely get a chance to. Well, Dan, you make it so easy for me as well. Everybody, uh, the book is called The Pop-Up Pitch, The Two-Hour Creative Sprint to the Most Persuasive Presentation of Your Life. This has been Dan Rome. Dan, and just so you know, I mean, you and I are having this conversation when this comes out after being you know, post-production, we're going to be showing your title page of your book and all that. So please go and buy it. I really enjoyed it. As somebody who does a lot of presentations, um, it was a whole new approach uh, to communicating. And I just... Uh, uh, I really appreciate the work that you do. So thank you so much for joining. Gene, I appreciate your work as well. Thank you. Thank you. And stay